Hey, take a moment and imagine that you had gotten your weight over 400 pounds, and you did it through a very specific applied application of bowls of mac and cheese and angel food cake servings. Now, imagine that you got yourself back from that brink, only to find yourself with the big C, cancer, and you overcame that too. Well, you don't have to imagine. I'm going to talk to the very guy who did it. So let's hit that music and let's get started. Joining me today is Matthew Geddick of the Happened in the 90s podcast. But we're not here to talk about the 90s because that's his job. But we're, <laughs> but we're here to talk about his fitness journey, which when he was younger, at some point, he tipped the scales at 400 pounds. He did get control of that. And then his body said, oh, you thought that was hard. Try this one on for size and developed leukemia because why not? Mm. And he beat that too. So Matt is joining us today to talk about that. Matt, join us. Talk about this. Wow. I, I mean, I, there's so much to uncover here. But yeah, uh, it, we got an interesting episode, Bruce. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem. I had nothing to do this morning. <laughs> so, you know, nice Sunday. Why not? Let's talk about being fat. Why not? But uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, I've had an interesting like, two decades. Let's put it that way. So... Let me know. What do you want to know? What, what, what can I lay on you right now? Well, let's start with how you got to 400 pounds, because that is not an easy number to hit. Well, I mean, it is an easy number to hit, but it's not a normal number to hit. How did you get there? Well, you know, I came from a family. We're all big people. We're from the Midwest. And growing up, I had a very doting grandmother who had like candy jars and cakes everywhere. And as far as like eating habits go, I was never really given an education in that. You know, both my parents worked. I had an older sister who was way older than me. So she was out of the house. So whenever we ate, we just ate a lot, whatever it was. Good stuff. We didn't really eat good stuff, but um, I'd say the beginning of it was that. Give us an example of young Matt comes to dinner. Oh, uh, well, is it just like a big pile of Lunchables and Hot Pockets? I mean, not even that. I mean, my, let's like I'd stay with my grandma when my mom and dad were at work. So my grandma would make her own macaroni and cheese and I'd have multiple bowls of that. Uh, she'd make she'd had angel food cake on the table at all times. And I would have slice upon slice of that. There was no there was no hey, stop. Uh, you know, so whatever it was, you're a growing boy. You need, you, you need, you need your food to grow. And I remember being cognizant that I was getting heavier. I moved from Pennsylvania to Ohio when I was 10. And when I was in Pennsylvania, you, you know, that was your group. You grew up with them and there was never any, Hey fatty or you're fat. But when I moved to a different place, I started hearing that. And I was like, am I, am I fat? And I'm, you know, my parents of course are like, no, you're going to grow up. You're going to stretch it out. It's going to stretch out. You know, you're not at some point, you're just going to hit a growth spurt and you're not going to be fat anymore. Clearly your you parents know? were biologists. <laughs> exactly. They, they clearly had a real firm grasp on science. Um, but even then, you know, that just continued when I, when I got older, having no real eating education on how to eat healthily or even, you know, even somewhat healthily. You know, you go to college and it, that just exacerbates the problem. So 
to go from, I'd say when I went to college, I was probably in my maybe high twos. Mm-hmm. You know, I was chubby, but I wouldn't say I was like obese, like morbidly obese. But by the time I started wanting to and needing to lose weight, I, you know, was just pounding. I would go to work and have like a triple cheeseburger from Wendy's, a double cheeseburger, biggie size fries, a nugget, and probably the equivalent of like a 12 pack of soda a day. Yeah. So the fact that I didn't get cancer or some kind of crazy like heart disease by just doing that is, and also smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. That's helpful. So I wasn't really hitting the marks. Yeah, for real. So when you went to college, was, were you living at home going to college or did you go off to college? I mean, I was 20 minutes away from my mom and dad. So they were always there to like, you know, I could go there, but I lived in the dorms. Okay. Yeah, we we had on-campus restaurants, and this is another way I probably gained 100 pounds. We had, like, a restaurant in the bottom of our quad uh, that doesn't exist anymore. It was burnt to the ground. And that's not a commentary on the food at all? No, no. It was a com- I mean, this was just a, degen- uh, just a haven of degeneracy. Like, my, I think my college knew the kids that just wanted to party, so they put us all in the same, like, general vicinity. <laughs> they had a restaurant called... I don't even remember the galley, I think. And all they served was mozzarella sticks, fry, anything fried. So when I was at school, I'd eat that and I'd come home and eat whatever my parents had. So it was just, you know, I should have just been eating Crisco, essentially. You know, it was just one of those things. And they do make flavored Crisco. So that is an option. Hmm. So it was at college that you tipped the scales over 400 pounds. What was the moment that made you turn that around? How did you get to that? Oh my God, if I don't do something soon, doorways will no longer support my form factor. <laughs> uh, it's actually two things. One, like some, like a general thing and then kind of a heartbreaking situation. But uh, one, you know, I was a, a young guy. You get friend zoned by enough women because you're not the ideal and that gets in your head a little bit. So I would say that was probably like 75% of it. I was always just like knew I needed to lose weight. You know, if I did go to a doctor, they would tell me I needed to lose weight. And just being, a, you know, you can see yourself. Yeah. You know, you're not the, you know, the pinnacle of fitness. So there was that. But uh, there was this one situation where I lived in a house with a bunch of people like me and I think four other guys. And we would have parties, you know, as you will in college. Mm-hmm. And we had a, like a pretty strong, big group of friends that were from the town that would come over from time to time. We were all very close. Uh, and at one party, and this was probably like a month before I really drilled down, was like, I can't do this anymore. When I walked out of my room and these people were like facing away from me. And I was just sitting there smoking a cigarette and I could hear what they were saying. And they were talking about how fat I was. And these were like my people I considered acquaintances. Like we hung out a lot, but I wouldn't consider them like my best friends. But I remember, I mean, to this day, I, when I think about it, it, my heart hurts. And when I heard that, I was like, okay, we're not, I'm not doing this again. I mean, I did more that I screamed at them and said, you know, F you get, you know, get out of my house and stuff like that. But from that day forward, I didn't immediately like go out and like hit the ground and start running or anything, but that just made my, it flipped my, some kind of switch in my brain. Now I want to ask you this as well, before we get into how you reversed this, I was also heavy as a, I wasn't heavy around in, in that time frame when I went into 
in my early 20s, I was normal, but at 11 years old, I weighed 280 pounds and being heavy imprinted on me being very shy. Were you a shy person before? Did you become shy? I've always been kind of shy. Yeah. I mean, I, but I was definitely not, I always surrounded myself with people who were more outgoing than me, maybe to test myself to like be like them or use them as like a model of like, maybe this is how I should act in public. Like this is how I not pull in on myself, but yeah, I've always been, I'm still kind of shy. I mean, you can ask my wife, I need prodding, but it's much less so now, much less after I lost a lot of weight. I got a lot of confidence after I did that. Well, let's go into that. So your friends were talking about how fat you were and they were doing it behind your back without knowing that you were there. When you decided to take the steps, what steps did you take and how easy was it for you to take those steps? Well, it wasn't easy. Um, it was, you know, I always, I got, you know, I don't know how many people share this that are heavy or have been heavy, but I got to a certain point where before that, all that stuff happened, I explained, I almost was dejected and like, well, I'm past the point of, I can't reverse this. I'm fat and that's who I am. So I just need to accept that. I think when I heard them say that again, that, that like flipped something in my head where I need to do something about this. And as far as like the physical steps I took, even when, when I was heavy, I was like, I don't know if you've ever watched like Chris Farley movies, but he was always sort of an athletic fat guy. Yeah. He can run around, do very physical stuff. So I would do stuff like that. I played basketball. Thankfully did have some supportive friends. And uh, I have two friends that I always name specifically uh, named Ryan and uh, his name, his nickname's Doghouse. <laughs> These two guys that were in shape. And his real name's Nate, but uh, he. They it's not, took a, me. not worth. <laughs> it's not even worth going into. We just leave it at doghouse, okay? I like. Hey, dog. He'd love that, but uh, they. Before I really drilled down, I remember that they took me to a local gym, and I had it been years since I've been in one, and they showed me. They took time, like a couple times, to show me, like this is how you work out. You know, do these things do this on a treadmill, lift these weights. And this is how like the beginner sort of mentality of lifting weights and stuff. So I attribute a lot of it to them. And I didn't continue in a gym at the beginning. What I did was I would just leave and go on walks because I couldn't even run my, I had bad knee problems or knee pain because I was heavy. Right. At 400 pounds, you should not be running. Yeah. Not to start. And it just sort of, you know, it, I'm sure a lot of people share this. You start walking and a block becomes two blocks, becomes a mile. It, within a few months, I started taking a little, just every, little sections and trying to jog. Like, I'd be like, well, maybe I can get to that stop sign. And then, you know, that grows. Start playing that game. Yeah. That little game of, okay, I'm going to get at least to there. And then... You know what? I got here. If I just take four more steps, I've gotten four more steps past. And I mean, that's a lesson you continue to like. I hate running. It never is easy. It just gets less crappy. It gets less painful. But uh, I've gone through that cycle where you stop running, you lose it, and then you have to go through that again. But yeah, at the beginning, that's kind of how it started. And then, you know, I stopped drinking soda. I realized drinking a two 12 packs of uh, Mountain Dew a day was not healthy just doing those things, the weight just started melting off. 
I didn't even really adjust my diet too much. I, I didn't eat as much of the bad things, but I did. I, you know, just moved my body and didn't drink soda. And I'd say within three months, I mean, I was getting noticeable differences where people are like, oh my God, you know, what's the secret? Which then you really sort of realize, oh, this is working. So that's when I just kept going. And then you've got the positive feedback loop your clothes are getting looser, your friends are complimenting you and you're like, okay, this is working and I can do this. And then you get on, you get a date, you know, you realize like, oh, like some of these things that I was worried were never going to happen for me are happening because I'm doing all these things. And that, you know, it just kept going from there. I want to touch on that date point for a moment. Self-image is so tied into how we see ourselves with weight for most people. How much weight did you lose before you managed to get this first date happening and what was that process like the confidence the girl how did this all come together as you're on your downward slide well I actually was even with all the things I'm saying I was able to get dates you know I just was I feel like there were you have like these you get crushes on people and it seemed like when I was heavy those crushes never materialized in anything but I was and hopefully continue to be a charming individual. But when I first started losing the weight, I remember specifically, there was just this one girl that I, I'm not going to name, but she, she gave me an opportunity and it probably took like three months where I was, I, pro I think I lost, like it happened real quick. Cause I'll be honest, Bruce, like as much as I'm, I sound like, um, inspiring the diet side of it, it's something I still struggle with, but I crash dieted. You know, I was mm -hmm. like, well, if I eat less then I eat nothing and just drink coffee and, you know, this is all going to work. And it did. And that's not healthy. That's not the best way. Yeah. I lost probably like 60 pounds real quick. You know, I'd say within like three or four months, maybe a little longer than that. A lot of like the problems with women and like my confidence in like, you know, going out and just like maybe approaching somebody I normally wouldn't, they went away. Yeah, something, you know, probably in that uh, time frame. But as far as like any what weight I lost, like I got I went from 400 and I got down to in my initial weight loss, I'd say I got down to like 260, which is an you look radically different. So even if I wasn't necessarily like the rock, I to me, I was like, I'm here, I'm shredded. <laughs> That's it. That's a human being. That is, that is an adult human being worth yep. of weight. Like you've lost another human being at that point. How tall are you, by the way? I'm like six, three. Oh, okay. I'm a tall guy. And you're tall as well. So there's that. Okay. Well, that, that does make sense. So you always had, even though you had shyness, you did have a bit of confidence in the background and you knew you were charming and that does help. Cause I know a lot of people don't necessarily know that about themselves. And by the way, if you're out there listening and you feel like you have these difficulties talking to women or even just talking to people and you're shy because of your age or just, you're just shy, a little suggestion I like to make is uh, take an improv class. I mean, Not, don't get involved in the world of improv because that's an entirely different thing, but just learn how to be a little bit humorous because that goes an incredibly long way. And it's actually very easy to learn how. I didn't do that, but I, I took a lot. I used humor and it, in high school and stuff, that was my defense mechanism. I think a lot of people do that, you know, yeah. you're self-deprecating. So you sort of steal the, the thunder from people, the Eminem eight mile mentality, basically. 
I use that. I didn't take an improv class, but that is good advice, you know, and also just doing, finding anything you can do where you're interacting with people. Cause I was lucky enough in high school that I lived in like a very Mayberry type situation in a town called Perrysburg, Ohio. And I lived on a block where it was me, three buddies that were guys. And then we had all these, like there were girls that we hung out with and you know, whether or not I had the confidence to approach them, which I didn't, I still had the reinforcement like, oh, this you're so funny, you know, stuff like that. So I was always had a little bit of confidence in that regard. So that did help. Such a nice guy. You remind me of my brother. And I heard that. I, oh, my God. My heart's breaking right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know. Nothing like having someone. I once had a teacher tell me, oh, you know, there was somebody I would allow to date my daughter. It's you. It's like, no. how do I... How do you take that? What is it? What is she actually saying there? What she was saying is I'm harmless. Is that good? Is that good? I don't think that's good. Oh my but this God. is not I'm about PTSD me. PTSD right now, Bruce. I'm sorry. I might go into a PTSD flashback right now. I'm not your best friend. <laughs> so, you, so rapidly you got down to 260, which while still being, well, I mean, at six foot three, we're like, for me, I'm five, eight. So this is still not good for you, even though it's not great. You're, but you're now within human proportions. You're now shaping up. When did, what did your weight finally end up being? The lowest I ever got was 185. And it was through, I went through two, I, I have like two versions of fitness, Bruce. I went through that in my early twenties went through life and I gained and lost weight in that, in a lot of, you know, period after that. But, uh, I had a relationship fall through in my late twenties and Mm -hmm. the aftermath of that, I went into revenge body mode and I basically worked out 18 hours a day. I worked out at work. I had an office job that was in like a warehouse that had many empty rooms. Mm -hmm. So I would go into an empty room, bump out like 20 pushups whenever I could I'd run at lunch. I'd run two miles to the gym that was halfway between my job and my house because I didn't have a uh, car in Los Angeles. Okay. And then when I got done working out for an hour and a half, I'd run home and eat. I had one meal, and it was a disgusting meal, Bruce. I ate a can of beans, five eggs, and a bag of steamed vegetables that I would just put in a bowl, and I would eat it. Maybe with some chicken, if I was feeling like a, like it was a banner day, maybe a, a breast of chicken, but my roommate hated it. Kendra, my wife saw this and she was like, this is, you need to have, you need to live your life, Matt. So through all that, I, I kind of also attribute that I might've hijacked my internal whatever, and maybe weakened my immune system, which may have led to getting cancer by overexerting and not feeding the machine. But at one point I did have a, I have a before and after photo that of me at my fattest and then me with a six pack that I used on online dating profiles, like a douche. But it's a hell of advertisement there. But it were, I mean, it, it was something that I, I, while I make fun of it, I was highly motivated to work out and I would just listen to like people that I found inspiring at Joe Rogan at one point or like people where he would have fitness people on talking about these different modalities. And I would just take a lesson from that, add it to the program, and just keep killing myself by working out as much as possible. So I did get down to 185, uh, but it's unmanageable. Yeah, 
And also, since we've been throwing around a lot of numbers, just to reiterate this for the audience, weight is just a number. It's how gravity is pulling on your body at a given time. Uh, what you should be focused on is how your clothes are fitting you and what your body is like. Numbers just provide a metric. Don't obsess on numbers. Yeah, you shouldn't even, you shouldn't even really, you should look at your weight just to see what the fluctuation is, just as like a examination of where you're at. But I, I did become fixated on it, especially, this is something I still am fixated on, my waist size. But it's more about how you feel. It really is like, you just have to, once you get to that point, I wish I could have stuck in that sweet spot where I, when I first started losing weight, where I was getting those compliments and just like whatever that feeling was, I was like, this is it. Like I've done it. You know, you mentioned Kendra, your wife. Did you know her when you were dating this other girl that triggered you or how did she come into the picture? Where were you at both with this obsession with working out and like the revenge body and then the leukemia? What's the timeline? The timeline I, from between me getting like into that mode and like the other relationship dissolving and meeting Kendra, there was probably like a year. So it took like, we lived like uh, literally a few blocks. So I lived in Van Nuys. You said you live in LA. So I lived in, I lived in Sherman Oaks at one point years ago. Okay. So I lived off this street called victory. And if I, I used to, like I said, run to get to work or get from work. And I would actually jog past her house on my way to work. And I just never knew it. But I met her like probably a year. I you know did a lot of online dating and we met online. What was your app? Uh, okay. Cupid. That was one of my apps. Yep. I used them all. I say Tinder and I did use Tinder, but it's just, if you online date in LA, I try, it's, it can be great. Cause I met my wife there, but it can also be a nightmare. So I sort of fluctuated and got frustrated. And she was one of the, I, in my head, I remember this saying like, if this one doesn't work out, I'm done using these apps. <laughs> and thankfully I was done using the apps because I met my wife. Right. I met her and we started dating. And then we, I think it was like two years into our relationship. I was living with a guy who was my business partner and he had to leave town. Like most people were doing in LA and my friends, they just, at some point you became so broke. You were like, I can't do this anymore. What's the rough year of these going ons? I would say me meeting Kendra was like 2014-ish, late 2014, you know, 2015. And then we moved from that area into the South Bay because I got a job in um, El Segundo. And that was in 2016 at the end of the year. So we were there for about two months. Job's going great. I'm staying in shape. We live near a gym. I'm jogging. I still don't have a car, so I'm jogging everywhere. Everything's going great. And then in on December 31st, I had buddies over, and I walked them out to the car. I felt like I got struck by lightning down my spine. It stayed there for a second. I registered. I still remember it. They left. And then over the course of about a month, from like December 31st till January 28th, I had this insane lower back pain that was growing. It was just getting worse. It became first just like a daily thing where I was like, I probably pulled a muscle, you know, I work out consistently. It's probably just like a muscle thing. So I'd sit in a, a disgusting 24 hour fitness jacuzzi <laughs> and try to like maintain <laughs> And, uh, I've done it too. It's, it was, I thought it was working. I would like apply obscene amounts of like, uh, tiger bomb, icy hot, all the stuff. 
and it just wasn't going away. And then I started like waking up and just like pouring sweat. And then I started noticing like bumps. My well, what I later became to know were my lymph nodes starting to swell. Huh. And this whole time, I'm saying this cannot be anything. Even I can't sleep. I was trying to go to work, but it started to become where I couldn't even do that. So I went to a couple of like urgent cares in the South Bay. And, you know, those places, they really don't do much. They don't want to do a blood test. They did x rays and they're like, well, your spine's fine. There's nothing wrong with your spine. So, you know, here's some pain pills, I guess. And those weren't working. And my wife has um, always been of the opinion that, you know, we were broke for so long and she's experienced that throughout her life too. And she's like, just go to the ER. Like, even if we can't pay for it, screw it. We'll just throw the bill in the garbage until we can pay it. So I went to the ER with back pain in Torrance Memorial, I think it's called. It's uh, in like right by the Delamo Mall in uh, down there in the South Bay. They did a bunch of blood tests. And the doctor, his name was Dr. Kennedy, came in and he's like, dude, you got leukemia. So I didn't know what that meant. Like, I remember you've seen in movies, like, it's like that Saving Private Ryan thing where, like, you can't hear anything. You know, you're just like. The C word was mentioned and, and you get tunnel vision. Well, I just remember being like, am I going to die? You know, my wife's like sitting there and we're both sort of crying. And that lasted about five minutes. I called my mom and dad and told them. and then. I don't know how in-depth you want to go, but I had a crazy situation because that place couldn't do what I needed to get done. I was basically, I'd waited too long. They were like, you got to get someplace that has a leukemia expert. Like we have nobody on staff that can help you. So you need a specialist. I, you have to get to UCLA in Westwood and you have to get there immediately. We can't get you there unless you have insurance and you don't have insurance. So I had some like guardian angel tell me to call this lady. This lady calls me back from UCLA and she's like whispering on the phone because she's at work and she's like, I'm not supposed to tell you to do this because I could lose my job. And I maybe I shouldn't even tell this on the pod, but it's fine. And she's like, you have to get here. Don't tell them I told you this, but just say that you talked to a doctor. They said you have leukemia and that you need to be admitted to the hospital for this. So I did all that. And I still don't know how close I got to death, Bruce, but let's put it this way. If there's one lesson I can tell people that's not associated with weight loss, if you think something's wrong with you, like health wise, and it's like a, it's getting worse, just go to the hospital, like get it figured out. Because if you wait too long, like I put myself in a real bad position doing that. So it was crazy, but I'm here. So, you know, what was the recovery like? Well, when you got there, what was the doctor's reaction? Okay. So I get there, I get to, and what happens is I went to the, I had to go to the ER because that's sort of how I had to get fast tracked into being admitted and getting into the actual cancer ward and stuff. So I go to the ER and what sets off them knowing you have leukemia is a white blood cell count. Whatever the normal one is, I don't know what that number is anymore. Mine was like 300 times the amount. So they're like, mm -hmm. Something is clearly wrong here. You have leukemia. And essentially what was happening was my T cells were just coming out dead. They were just, and they were filling up in my spine, which is why I was getting this insane back pain. And the first night in the ER, it's as close as I've wanted to be like die because of pain. It's the closest I'll ever get is the worst pain I've ever been. I was begging for it to stop and it eventually did. It was a nightmare of 
having to be in the ER for one night. So I get admitted because I'd wait. I don't know if it's because I waited so long, but because of where I was at with the disease, I couldn't just do chemo to get rid of it. Some people can do that and it just goes away. They manage it. They kill the disease with radiation and stuff. Uh, but that wasn't going to work for me. So what I had to do was get on a donor list for stem cells. And the way that they got rid of my leukemia was they found a match, which is that process in and of itself is very complicated. It takes years for some people to find a match. Family members are usually not a match. Like my mom and dad were only half matches because obviously they're combined. One half of each. Yeah. And my sister, they were thinking maybe could be, but she could, she wasn't a match either. So while I was waiting, they give you chemo, they give you all these immunosuppressants. Uh, so I was kind of living like the COVID life that we all got used to with the masks on everything for a while. Um, I was in the hospital initially for like a month. I got out and I had to do like outpatient chemo treatments. I had to get bone marrow biopsies, which is insane. I had to get spinal injections and spinal tests. All that sounds terribly painful. You know, it's the, what you put you through mentally when you hear about it is much worse than what the reality is. It's like getting your tooth pulled. It's like once they numb you, it's not as bad, but it is a nightmare. It's not fun, I'll, you know, but I got through all of it and eventually they did find a match. I didn't know who it was. When you get them, they won't tell you any information for quite some time. I, I don't know why, but I had to wait two years, but I did get a match. So I was admitted into the hospital in January. And in July of that same year, I had a stem cell transplant and that they kill your immune system with radiation. So you're in a hospital, you can't leave, and you're basically just in a room isolated so you don't get sick or anything happens. And they kill your immune system. They give you the donor stem cells, which is just like a, it looks like a big bag of blood, basically. And you just receive this IV and then you wait. You wait for your blood counts to go from zero. And in about like a week and a half, I started to get blood counts back. And it started to work, you know, and some people aren't that lucky. They get it. It doesn't take. It's like a heart transplant. Some people, their body rejects it. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, side effects when you get the stem cell transplant. But in July of, I think it was 2017, I got that. It was excruciating in the high. I was in the hospital for about, two weeks after I got the stem cell transplant. And then I had to stay in a hotel slash outpatient place by UCLA that they have for people that need to be close to the hospital. So I was probably there for about a month again. Thankfully it worked. I had a lot of side effects. Um, you get these things called GVHD reactions, which is called grafts versus host disease. And essentially my blood cells are from the person who donated it. And because they've been transplanted into my body, sometimes there can be this reaction where they start attacking your body because they think it's like a foreign entity. You know, it's a disease of some kind. So I had a few things like that. But all in all, I had a very smooth road. And I'm here five years later because of that. And I, I got to say, the lady who I found out like a year ago who gave me the stem cells, it came all the way from Australia from this woman named Gaylene Rogers. I'm here because of her. So it was an insane thing. I, you know, I definitely thought I was probably a goner, but it was a wild ride, man. It was crazy. Are you still on immunosuppressants? Do you have to be? 
a little bit because of that GVHD thing. I, I've about two years ago, it start and this kind of ties into the fitness. I it started attacking my joints, Ooh. so I would get almost like uh, arthritis and swelling and stuff. Uh, so I'm on like the I literally take two pills a day, where I was taking like thirty when I first got out of the hospital and stuff. But I'm on a little bit, but the benchmark I've always been told is that if you get to five years after you get this done and you're still good, it's a good indication that, you know, for the time being, you really don't have a lot to worry about, knock on wood. So I'm about to be there. Five years will be in July. So if I make it there, I'm going to feel a lot. I'm, it's going to be a big milestone. Let's put it that way. Well, congratulations on being able to overcome this. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Out of curiosity. Since you've been like physical, physical guy, at some points, insanely physical guy, have you gotten back to some degree of that? Or have you kind of found a nice little balance for yourself? I definitely found a nice balance. But I will say, um, you know, you're not allowed to, when you get out of the hospital, you're not supposed to overexert yourself too much. So I couldn't, my muscle is muscled, my muscles had, Mm -hmm. you know, deteriorated when I was moved to that outpatient facility. I still, every day I was like cognizant. You got to get, you got to get back into working out. It's something that it it brings a lot of clarity to me. It's very important to me still. So when I got (laughs) to the outpatient facility, my doctor's like, don't overdo it, but you can actually like walk on a treadmill if you want. So of course I heard that, but then my psychotic fitness brain kicked in. And like the night we got there, me and my wife went and walked on the treadmill and I did it for like an hour got giant blisters on my feet. And like, cause of course you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> right. No, I've sort of, I found a nice medium because you know, I have a really good support system. My wife is also into fitness. We work out, we worked out today together in our gym and stuff. But, uh, she was like, you gotta, you went through this, like, enjoy your life, have the slice of cake, but just make sure, you know, we're working out and you know, but don't make it everything like you were. So I think I have, I'm, I'm still working on that. I, I don't think I'll ever be 100% confident in saying, like, I'm there. I get it. I, I figured it all out. But I definitely think I'm at a healthy place right now, you know? I mean, that's the win. Do you have advice or any thoughts for somebody who is struggling with their weight or struggling with their fitness? What are your thoughts to somebody just trying to get themselves moving? Just that. You know, if it's something in your brain, if if you're not worried about it, I don't want to body shame people, but I think that, you know, if you know that you're in an unhealthy place and you, you have that inside of you, that little voice, it's like, man, I just wish this, I wish I was less heavy or I wish I could get that girl or something. It's as easy as going out and walking around, maybe walk around the block. You know, it can start that small, but those little steps, even if it's just walking could make gigantic gigantic progress in your life if that's a goal that you have it doesn't you don't have to be like the rock and be in the iron paradise every day just lifting insane weights like it, it's not that might not even be healthy you know but just do whatever just start whatever you need to you know whatever that step is that first little baby step if it's in your heart to make that change just walk around the block that's the best thing i can tell you you're not going to be running like Usain Bolt. You're not going to be lifting, you know, hundreds of pounds, but walking and just flipping a little switch in your head a year from that time, you're going to look back and be like, man, I'm glad I did that. I I can tell you from experience, you know? Great. So Matt, 
where can people find you when they're not finding you here? Uh, well, mostly in my home office, just working constantly because that's most of my life. But I do have a podcast, like Bruce said. Uh, it's called Happened in the 90s. I do it with my buddy from high school, Steve G. Uh, and we do uh, what the title suggests. We just talk about things in the 90s, mostly TV and movies. You can just find us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter. If you just so type in Happened in the 90s, you'll find us. Uh, we have a website, happenedinthe90s.wordpress.com. We have a YouTube page. We're on all the audio platforms that most people use. So, you know, check us out. We definitely appreciate it. Matt, thank you so much for joining me. And as for me, I am the fittest fat kid you know, and you are finding me right now. But if you want to find me some other time, you can find me on the socials, at Twitter, at TikTok, at Instagram, on my own Facebook page, and those are all at fittest fat kid. If you have a question, concern, if you want some fitness advice, if you just want to talk to me because you're lonely, you can email me at hi there at fittestfatkid.com. You could also just go to the website, which is once again, www.fittestfatkid.com because I am nothing if not redundant. <laughs> if you're enjoying this podcast, if I amuse you in some way, subscribe to it. If, if we are on YouTube, click that subscribe button, click that like button. Show some love, but no matter who you are and no matter where you are, hold yourself accountable, but do it with kindness and understanding. And I'll talk to you next week.